Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7 is where we are today. Here's the key concept this morning. Our failures are only fatal if we fail to learn from them. That's when our failures are fatal, when we fail to learn from them. In today's message, we're going to contrast two different battles. The battle against Jericho, where the children of Israel have experienced a miraculous victory... And then the battle against Ai, when, where there is a disastrous loss. And as we contrast these two battles, we want to come to know what are the lessons for us? What can we take out of this, these passages to understand for ourselves from these, this historical situation? Now, we all know about the battle of Jericho, how the walls of Jericho came tumbling down in Joshua chapter 6. I call the battle of Jericho the battle that wasn't because really the part of the typical ancient warfare against a walled city like Jericho didn't happen. No matter if it was through bombardment or through siege, the the kind of war that a typical army would wage against an armed city was skipped over in the case of Jericho because of God's intervention and the struggle went directly to what we might call plunder and destruction. And it was all because of God's power. Last week we saw Joshua encounter the figure who called himself the commander of the Lord's armies. And I believe that that's a manifestation of God himself. And God was reminding Joshua in this encounter that There's more than just two armies involved in the struggles that are ahead. Sure, there's the army of the Israelites, and there's the army of the city-states that you'll be facing all throughout the conquest, but there is another army. There's the Lord's army who is fighting on behalf of the Lord's glory and His righteousness. And as we enter chapter 6 of the book of Joshua, it seems that that encounter is continuing. And the the commander of the Lord's army is explaining further what's going to happen. Maybe a separate encounter where it's not exactly uh, clear in the language. But what we do know is this. The usual way for an army to face up against a walled city had to do with ladders and catapults and battering rams and all that kind of equipment. And, And probably that's exactly what the people in Jericho thought was going to happen. We see that from chapter 6, verse 1. Read with me. It says this, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. 
In other words, Jericho had barred the gates. They brought in as much food as they could possibly squeeze in. They brought in as much water as they could hold. They're hoping to wait out the Israelites. Maybe they'll get tired. Maybe they'll get discouraged and simply go away. They depended on their walls to defend them. And their walls were pretty impressive. Jericho was protected by two concentric walls. Both walls were 40 feet tall, and they were made of rock and rock-hardened dried mud. And those walls had stood the test of time. This is an ancient city, one of the most ancient cities in the world. And it looked like that's the method of warfare that 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 they were going to face. But God had a totally different plan in mind. Let's pick up the reading in verse 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. And with the priests blowing the trumpets, and when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. That's the plan. Now, it sounds pretty weird. March around the city for six days. The priests and the armies march silently around the city. You need to recognize that we're talking throughout this passage about the armies of Israel and the priests. We're not talking about the grandmas and the grandpas and the children and the toddlers walking around and fighting the battle. It's just the armies and the priests. They're the people that are in this context here, but but they're the army in front and in the rear of the priests, and the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and and the, the trumpets of God, and the imagery for everyone is God is central to this plan, even though it sounds like a strange one. And notice the way God describes the situation in verse 2. He says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. God states it in past tense. Notice that. In other words, this is as good as done. This is as good as over. There's there's not even any question here. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And you're going to march around that city for six days quietly. And then on the seventh day, march around seven seven times, blow the trumpets, make a loud noise, and the walls are going to come down. And you're going to be able to take the city. And when God says, take the city, he means totally destroy the city, destroy it completely, kill and destroy and burn everything in the city, except for the items of gold, silver, bronze, and iron that will be put into the treasury of the Lord. Everything else in that city is, the passage says, devoted to the Lord. The Hebrew word there is the word harem. Everything else is harem. What it means is it is to be destroyed and burned, and in that sense, sent back up to God. Cherem. Now, this is not the ordinary way of fighting a battle. Ordinarily, the spoils of war would go to the soldiers who fight in the battle. This is part of the risk and reward analysis of being a soldier in an ancient setting. You know, I could get rich. That's the reward. If I live, that's the risk. And this risk and reward balance, the soldiers kept in mind. But God is telling him, so this is not your battle. 
and you're not really fighting. This is my battle. I'm fighting. The spoils are mine. Everything in that city is Hiram. Because this is not just a battle. This is judgment. This is God's judgment on a civilization that has been notoriously sinful for centuries. And Moses saw that it would come to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses is speaking and he says to the Israelites, it is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Israel, you are just the instrument of the judgment of God. God is going to fight this battle. And when you think about it, it's interesting and striking how even-handed God is. For when Israel itself becomes evil and lives in rebellion against God, judgment comes on them as well by different instruments. The instruments of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, hundreds of years now in the future. But Jericho is God's battle. So nothing is to be taken as the spoils of war. If you were to do that, you would be stealing from God himself. It's all devoted to God. So here's the result. Go to verse 24 of chapter 6. It says, Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. She lives among the Israelites to this day. It gives us a little glimpse into the writing of the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is written while this generation is still alive, so the facts would be made clear to them. Rahab is still living, but the result is a wonderful victory for the armies of Israel. And now as they turn their attention to the next city in line, the next city is called Ai. It is a much smaller city than Jericho. It is no longer located on the plains of the Jordan River, but it's into what we would call the foothills of a place that's soon going to be called Judea. It's not called that yet. But Ai is that next smaller city, and the name Ai means the ruins. And we're not exactly sure why it's called that. It could, could be because of all the past battles that were fought in this particular location, or it could be that the author is describing these events through the, through the filter of the future, that it came to be called AI because of the events we're reading here. But one way or the other, the name was The Ruins, and you get a sense that the children of Israel were, were pretty confident as they faced this next city. Joshua, true to form, sent spies in. And here's what they came back with, verse 3. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up. And they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, and they struck them down on the slopes. Here's Ai, a very small city. The report comes back, listen, you don't have to worry about these people. Just send a few people. It's not going to be much of a battle at all. But this time, instead of a remarkable victory, they suffer a devastating defeat. 
The armies of Israel are defeated by this much smaller enemy. Even though the, the Israelites were confident, they seemed to be on a roll, but that roll stopped in Ai. And this was not only a devastating defeat, it was potentially very, very harmful. Because if you think back to the beginning of their entrance into the land, one of the things that we read about was how all of the cities were hearing about the Israelites, how invincible they were, and they were, they were not able to be stopped. And now that reputation has come crumbling down. Now they will not fear us as much. And Joshua, after witnessing this defeat of his army, slips into a bit of a depression. Look at verse uh, 6 of chapter 7. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. So much for promised land living and promised land thinking. So much for being an invincible army that's fighting for the purposes of God. Joshua slips into the idea, all is lost, we can't possibly be successful. And he's asking the question, not particularly stated, but he must be asking, what went wrong? Why was it that we were so successful against Jericho, but so terrible against Ai? And the fact is, the reader knows something that Joshua doesn't know. And the fact is recorded back in chapter 7, verse 1. This is how it happened. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. That's the harem. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. How did it happen that they were defeated by little Ai. Sure, they may have been overconfident. Yes, maybe they didn't make good battle plans. Maybe they didn't pray enough before they went up against the struggle. But the real reason, the bottom line reason is this. There was sin in the camp. There was a secret sin. Achan had stolen some of the devoted things, thinking that no one noticed, believing that no one was watching unaware that there is no such thing as a secret sin. Numbers chapter 32, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. God is always watching. He's always a witness. He sees those things that we do in the dark. And Achan had done this in the dark, no, no doubt, and he had buried these items underneath the carpet of his tent, the things that were devoted to the Lord. And the Lord gets hold of Joshua. Advance to verse 10 of chapter 7. While Joshua is laying down in the dust, saying, Woe is me, how could this happen? God, in verse 10, speaks to him and says, Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put... Uh, them in with their own possessions. And that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. Achan has stolen from God. And thus, 
He brought trouble on the camp. The community was suffering because of Achan's sin that he thought was secret. The evidence of his sin was buried under his tent, and that meant that he has implicated his entire family. Everybody would have been aware of it in that family, hiding those spoils of war to enrich themselves even against the commands of God. And Achan's sin had huge repercussions for the ability of the people of God to move forward in the purposes of God. At first, Joshua is not aware of who's at fault, who's responsible. God says to him, the, the sin is present, I have seen it. But it's Joshua's job to find out who's the perpetrator. And so from verses 14 to 19, through a method that's called casting lots, they seek out the guilty party. Now, we're not sure what the casting of lots actually looked like. Historians sometimes recreate it, kind of imagining that people are putting the names of the tribes and then the clans and then the families and then the individuals into some kind of urn or something, and as we pull out the name, that tribe is taken. Or maybe the imagery is meant to look like they're throwing something like dice and, and in a certain way that they fall, the tribes, then the clans, then the families, then the individuals are identified and it's narrowed down. The author doesn't tell us exactly what it looks like because he knows that his readers will know what it looks like because this, they're reading within the first generation. But the point of it is it was a process and it was a lengthy process. And it, it was a process in which the identification of the guilty party was moved in closer and closer and closer as the focus got more and more specific to one man, the man Aiken. And I had the question of why the process? Why doesn't God, when he announces the sin, simply say, listen, this has happened because Aiken has buried some of the stuff he shouldn't have underneath his tent? God doesn't do that. God takes them through this drama of each tribe and then each clan and then each family and then each individual being, being recognized, guilty or, or innocent. And Achan stands pat through an entire process. And I believe the process exists because God is giving Achan a chance to confess his sin. As the focus becomes closer and closer, each step, God is putting the pressure on Achan. And Achan sweats it out. Achan stands, stands in there. And, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems to me that if, if Achan would have admitted his sin early in the process, the punishment might not have been so severe. But what is absolutely certain is this is a teachable moment for the nation of Israel. And the, and the lesson is this. God means business when he gives you a command. Here's a little bit of irony. The name Achan means trouble. When Achan came into the room, they could literally say, here comes trouble. And trouble brought trouble on the nation Israel. And because of the trouble he brought to the nation Israel, he and his family and all their possessions, everything are killed. Because Achan robbed God. That's not... Doubt it for a moment. Eventually, in verse 20, Achan says, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. But that is not a confession. That is admitting. 
A confession is when you say and you feel the same thing that God says and feels towards your sin. Aikens finally admitted it when he was found out. And he was punished because of it. In the way that is the most common form of execution in the scriptures, they were stoned to death by the community. Now you say to yourself, well, what are the lessons for us from this kind of story? And I think there are lessons from both the victory in Jericho and the defeat in Ai. Lesson number one from Jericho is this. What are the Jerichos in your life? What I mean by a Jericho is an obstacle that is holding you back, that seems to be insurmountable, but God will give you the victory if you let him. There are Jerichos in our lives, things that that don't allow us to live the promised land life. We're in the promised land, but promised land living isn't happening. And a lot of times the things that are our Jerichos are actually in our past, things that we carried guilt and shame about. And they have little slogans. For instance, maybe the slogan is, God could never forgive me. That is the Jericho of guilt. Or I will never forgive them for what they have done, the Jericho of resentment. Or nothing ever works out for me, the Jericho of self-pity. Or it has to be just right, the Jericho of perfectionism. Or it's my way or the highway, the Jericho of pride. I can't cope without it, the Jericho of addictions. All of these Jerichos with their slogans, all of them can be defeated by God if we are willing to say yes to maybe the surprising way he wants us to obey. But the second question is, is there an AI in your life? AI is true, hard, blatant, unblinking, total and obvious failure. AI is when you say to yourself, I totally blew it and I am paying the price. I don't have my family because of my AI. I don't have that job anymore because of my AI. I have lost a lot of my friends because of my AI. And every time I think about it, I get a little sick to my stomach. I wake up with a shudder at night when it comes to my mind. And the truth is, it is all on me. I could have done differently, but I didn't. My life is the ruins. AI. Here's what you need to remember. Your failures are only fatal if you fail to learn from them. God did not say to Joshua and the children of Israel once they took care of that sinful situation, he didn't say, listen, skip over Ai, you'll never beat them. He said this, 8.1, then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. This time you do it my way. This time you do it in communication with me. Dust yourself off, pick yourself up, try again, and do it in simple obedience. That's how you defeat your AI. And there's one more piece. We draw a theological straight line between Achan's judgment and the fact that judgment will come. All of us will stand before the Lord one day in judgment. And the question on that day will not be, did you take stuff that wasn't yours? The question will be, what have you done with Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and turned to him in faith? And don't think that you can be somehow like AI, sweating it out to the very end and then hoping you can talk yourself out of it. That kind of faith faith and hope is false hope. 
God has given us a plain salvation plan. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And when you reject that plan, there is no hope. And Jesus, walking on this earth, warned us that judgment is coming. He said this in Matthew 10, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Judgment is sure. One way or the other, God's character doesn't change. God wants to help us overcome our Jerichos. He wants to help us avoid an AI experience. And he wants to welcome us in hope in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's working to that end today. And if that's what you need, it can start this morning as you turn to Christ in faith. Judgment is sure. But God is always working with us, for us, for the armies of God are on the side of his people. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the fact that you love us and you see us. And thank you for the fact that you have a plan. Sometimes it surprises us, Lord, but we want to be those who say yes to that plan so that we don't walk in a way that's not ours, so that we don't, in rebellion, cling to our hopes and miss your blessing. Lord, help us be your people and to live your way. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to be dismissed. And we're going to have counselors by the prayer table near the organ who are waiting for you, maybe to pray over a situation in your life or to say yes for a relationship with Jesus Christ. They'd love to introduce you. But before we do that, let's stand together. And as we stand, we're going to sing a song. Whoops. We're a little bit over. It's okay. The song goes like this. Sing it with me. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Once again together. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Lord, we pray that you dismiss us and you continue to fill us with the joy that we have in Jesus. And may that joy be attractive to those around us so that we can represent you well and tell the story of everything that we have in Christ Jesus. Dismiss us with your blessing, for we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.